0: You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit ShorebreakChurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at ShorebreakChurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Hey, good morning. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Make your way to Colossians this morning. How's it? You guys doing All right. All right, good, good to be with you guys again. Um, today is our two-year birthday as a church, and uh, we're excited. It's a celebration because of what Christ has done. We can celebrate Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, in fact, corporate worship, gathering like this, is really just setting ourselves up, preparing our lives for heaven, because this is what we're going to be doing in eternity, is spending time with one another, not preaching. I'm, I'm jobless in heaven, so, and that's okay, um, but I, I'm jobless. But all of us collectively, uh, together, glorifying, lifting high, worshiping the name of Jesus. And so um, it is special, really. Church is the rehearsal for eternity. And so um, we've been doing this for two years by the grace of God, and, uh, and we pray that we would see many more years to come. But um, we're here for the word of God. We're here to amplify Jesus We're here to see what God has said in the scriptures. And so um, make your way to Colossians if you haven't already done so. Uh, We're going to be at the end of Colossians chapter 1. And as you guys make your way there, a quick announcement. We um, are doing a baptism at the beginning of next month, August 3rd, from 4 p.m. till sunset. And so um, it's it's just a chance for us, for one, to, to again hang out. Have fellowship. Feel free to invite your friends to this. Uh, It's a little bit different than what we normally do Um, here in our culture, where it's like, all right, we're all getting together. We're going to do a potluck. We're going to have the food provided. So, um, the reason why we're doing that is because all the food that is being provided um, is all you need to bring is your cash or your, I think, card. I'm not sure on that, but at least cash. And so uh, all the proceeds are going to be going to the pregnancy center here in Conan, so it's going to a good cause, and the menu is ridiculous. That's all I'm going to say. You're not going to regret. at all and so be here but one of the main reasons we're throwing this barbecue is because there are some of you who want to be baptized and so that's what we're going to be doing we're going to be doing baptisms and so I just want to say this as straight and as simple as I can if you love Jesus if you have become a Christian and you have never been baptized the Bible says you believe and you be baptized and so be baptized sign up on your way out Larry, who does our announcements, who's one of our leaders, is going to remind you at the end of the service, sign up on your way out to be baptized. Because again, baptism is us saying, not only have I just professed with my mouth and believed in my heart that Jesus is Lord, but he is Lord of all of me. And so in baptism, I'm saying, I'm identifying my life with Christ and his death and in his resurrection. And so um, it's a beautiful picture of what Christ is really doing uh, in your life and so again we have a few people signed up sign up to be baptized I want to encourage you guys to do that well Colossians chapter 1 we're going to begin in verse 29 if we could all stand for the reading of the word of God verse 29 for this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For want to I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all of those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love for being knit together in love to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery in which is Christ, and whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ." Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning celebrating two years, Jesus, of this church's existence, God. And it's nothing we take credit for. It's all all the work that you've done, and it's all for your glory. And today is no different, Jesus. We pray that you would be glorified, Jesus. We pray that you would be lifted on high, and that as you are lifted on high, we would, all of us, collectively together, be transformed into your image, into your likeness, so that we would have less of ourselves and more of you in our life. For Jesus, we are in desperate need of you. Holy Spirit, we need for you to speak to us this morning. And we ask that by your grace, we would all receive truths in your word that wouldn't just be good for doing more things, but that would be impactful in making us more like you and causing us to love the things that you love and causing us to have spite for the things that you disapprove of. But in the end, Jesus, all that we seek to do is to glorify you and not do religion, but to have a relationship with you. And so we pray that by your grace, we would grow through your spirit by the power of your word. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Well, the reason we make our way through the scriptures, through the Bible, is we talk about what God talks about. That's why we go through books of the Bible. Um, it's much easier for us to pick topics that we would feel comfortable with or talk about things that we would all like to talk about, but when we make our way through the Bible, the Bible forces issues on your life and on my life that that we wouldn't otherwise talk about, you know what I mean? Like Ecclesiastes, if you were here for Ecclesiastes, which I think many of you were, that was one of those books. I mean, let's talk about death every Sunday for a couple months. How about that, huh? I mean, that was Ecclesiastes, but how often do we talk about death? You know, I, But we don't talk about it very often, especially on Friday night at a party with friends or, or wherever you're at in work. Like, hey, by the way, everything about death, what? No, stop. We, 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 we like to seclude and censor certain things out from our life where the Scriptures does the opposite. It exposes the Scriptures, uncensor the areas we try to cover in our life. And so that's why we go through books of the Bible. And that's why Paul uh, said in verse 25 that, that he's been entrusted with the good news. Verse 25 actually says this, of chapter 1, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. So Paul was entrusted, you and I are now entrusted with the good news of the gospel. Doesn't matter how much you know of the gospel or how little you know of the gospel. If you are a lover of Jesus, you are entrusted with the gospel to be a steward of the gospel and how do we steward the gospel? We well, says at the end of verse 25 to make the word of god fully known. By sharing what god has said, by saying making the word of god fully known. That all that needs to be said in church, all that needs to be communicated is what god has said in the scriptures. And for this Paul was captivated. He was captivated by the gospel transformed by the gospel because a heart that where the gospel captivates becomes captivated by the gospel and this is exactly what Paul is saying this is the fuel that kept him moving forward and if there is anything we should devote our lives to to be passionate about nothing is more important that we could give our lives to than the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ Because there's no greater truth we could spend our lives dwelling upon, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so what we looked at last week was, well, then how do we grow further up and further into gospel truth? Well, again, it's the word of God being fully known to us. In fact, Paul says in verse 28, we proclaim him. Him we proclaim. There's no message to be declared on Sunday mornings other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's him we proclaim. And not just proclaim, he says in verse 28, warn. There is warning. And then after warning, he says there is teaching. So we proclaim, we warn, and we teach because in the church today, we do not need soft, Sermons that are full of smooth jazz truths, that's non-fat milk. We need meat in the church if we are to grow in the things that God would have us to grow. There is a time, any place for milk. Yes and amen. Absolutely. But there is also a time for us to say, let's let's get into deep theological truths. Let's let's look at how the gospel works itself out in my life and in your life so that we would understand how we can glorify God better. And Paul says all this so that we would be mature in Christ. Maturity of Christ is a sub-theme that we will soon be diving into more in the book of Colossians as we study through it. But the way we ultimately mature in Christ is when the realities of Scripture mold us into the image of Jesus. And so that is what we need, we need to be transformed by Jesus. We need to be shaped into his image. You and I both know that. It doesn't take long for you to step outside your life, to look within your life, to see, man, I'm, I'm a mess. I don't have things together. In fact, think five years ago. Think how happy you would be five years ago with your future self now today, five years later. And are you happy today? What makes you think in five years from now you're going to be happy with yourself? Oh, how we need the transforming power of the gospel to renew us and the word of God to shape us and mold us so that we would be presented mature in Christ. So now we pick it up in verse 29. We read this For this I toil. So, all that we just said, for this I toil. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. As Paul talks about life as a Christian, as Paul talks about life not just as a Christian but life in ministry, chapter 1 finishes with this idea that ministry, doing the work of the ministry, is not like a walk in the park. It's not heaven on earth. And some people, um, especially Bible college students, have this false idea that, oh man, the moment I'm in ministry, man, the moment I get to do that, then everything is going to be perfectly smooth. It's like, no, you're, you're deceived. You have no idea what you're asking for. In fact, I had someone um, a while back come up to me and say, hey, so yeah, you're a pastor, right? Yeah. Um, so... How is it? How easy is your job? You, you get to study the Word of God and pray for 40 hours a week. I, very seldom do I mockingly laugh at people, but I could not contain myself. I was like, you think that's what we do? You think we just sit in you know this, this stance where our legs are crossed, drinking prayer lattes, being very comfortable, and, and just not having to be in the outside world or have to deal with... No, that's not the case at all. In fact, if you look at what Paul says here... He uses words like toil and struggle when it comes to being a Christian and specifically when it comes to work in ministry. That the ministry of being a steward of God, being a steward of the gospel, is toil and struggle. The word for struggle that is used here is where we get our word agonize. Agonize. So there's this idea that somehow when I become a Christian, that as I become a Christian, things are going to get easier. Things are going to be better. Yet when we read here in Scripture, if we read about toil and struggle or agonize, it's very different, is it not, than often what we know of? Than what we are told even. But Paul says, no, 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 it's a struggle. I agonize. It's not struggleless. But notice this, and I want you to notice this. Paul's struggle isn't on his own. Look at verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle, he says it again, so in case you think maybe I'm the exception, nope, struggle again, agonize again, two times here that a great struggle I have for you and for the sake of those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So all of the struggling that you and I face, all of the toil, all of the agony that we have in our walks with God, whether it be a steward of the gospel or whether it be parenting, which really is a steward of the gospel, whether it be at work, which is really just another avenue for you to steward the gospel, that all of these things are toil and struggle, in other words, agony. And so don't think for a moment in your Christian life, if you're in a place of agony, toil, and struggle, it's necessarily because of something you've done. It may very well be because of, of you're right where God wants you. But you don't struggle alone. You're not alone in your struggle and toil. For Paul, all of his energy was from God that powerfully worked with him, him which was from God. So hear me out this morning. It is in Christ you are able to endure what you can never endure without him. This morning, it is in Christ, it is by his grace, you can still press on even though you don't feel like it, even though you don't want to, it is in him because you don't have to look within your own life, you don't have to find power within yourself to say, I need to keep moving forward, I need to keep doing this. You can look outside of yourself to someone who is greater, who in his name is Jesus, who is able to help you in the midst of your toil, your struggle, and your agony and not necessarily deliver you from it. But help you in it. The beautiful thing about living for Christ is we don't have to live for ourselves, but all strength and all power is found in Him. And Paul loves Jesus so much. Hope you see this really what he is communicating here. He is willing to set aside his personal preferences and his own agenda. Because all of us power and energy is driven by grace. It is grace driven effort. And so now, even Uh, which we're not there yet, but even as we get into chapter 3 and chapter 4, you have to realize that, that the way we parent well, the way that we work hard, the way that we steward the gospel, the way that we do life with friends, the way that we enjoy life, all of those things and all of the things that we are to do are to be efforts driven by the grace of God. Things that are outside of ourselves. And so Paul here, in his grace-driven effort, is willing to lay down his life. But check this out. Look at verse 1 again. He says at the end of verse 1, "For For all who have not seen me face to face. So they haven't had any face time yet. He hasn't even met the Colossians. He's heard about them from Epaphras, who planted the church there in Colossae. He hasn't even seen him yet. He is willing to struggle, to toil, and to suffer for people who he's never even seen. Try that on. I can't even for struggle for people I see face to face, right? I mean, well, just a few just a f- well it was a few months ago now, um, we were going a walk around the block and, um, in an evening and someone was you know they had a yard sale, and so we went up to the yard sale and there is this uh, a good book um, actually that um my wife saw and she was like oh how much for this book and they're like oh you can have it just take it for free and we're, we're cheap so we're like free praise God um so we took it and it was um and it was this book and so uh we're walking and um she opens the book as we're walking and something flies out of the book hits her in the eye and you know she's like oh my eye kind of hurts I was like oh whatever don't worry about it you'll you'll get over it I'm a good husband I know um, uh, you'll it'll it'll you'll be able to rub it out and and it'll be fine. So then and it's on a Saturday. So you know I'm kind of preparing for Sunday, um, trying to get ready for Sunday. But come to find out, um, she calls me a few hours later and it's like, babe, my eye still hurts and it's swollen and I can't see like light. My eye's sensitive to light, and so. Um, she comes here and, and I, you know, of course I'm studying and, and it's just like, and so we end up having to take her to, to the, a, the emergency room just to kind of make sure everything was okay with it. And you know what I was not doing at the emergency room? Well, I wasn't praying for my wife. Oh man, I, I hope your eye is okay. I mean, it is your eyesight after all, kind of important. I wasn't thinking about her needs. You know what I was, honestly, I was thinking, how could this happen on a Saturday? God, don't you know I have to prepare for Sunday? Don't you know this is the worst time this can happen? God, I mean, really? And so I was kind of frustrated, and it did not take me long as I was studying in the emergency room. Ironically, the Bible, I know, I repent, I'm not perfect, where it's like how self-centered am I for me to be in the ER room with my wife who's got this thing in her eye, and I'm thinking about myself. Oh, how I need the love of Christ to become a reality, how I need the gospel to grow its roots deeper into my life when I'm thinking about myself. what my wifes and of course she's fine and it wasn't you know a, a huge deal, but for me to be that self-centered where, where where's my heart at? Where, ha, where, what are the areas where the gospel needs to put its roots deeper and grab a hold of me further? It was about me. I wasn't willing to toil, to struggle, to agonize in the emergency room. I didn't want to be there. And this just shows that we all have these different areas where we live for ourselves, where we have our own personal agendas, where things are about me. The world is centered around me, but for Paul, it wasn't about him. Life is all about Jesus, and he is willing to lay down his life, not just for the people that he's seen, but for people he's never met. I don't even know if I can say that. And so what the gospel does, when the gospel grips your heart, is the gospel puts Jesus in the center of everything in your life. And guess what? There's no room for ourselves. See, the gospel doesn't just deliver us from eternal punishment, but the gospel frees us from ourselves. And for this, Paul lives selflessly. And he wanted the Colossians to know this. He wanted the Laodiceans to know, and for you and I to know, that the gospel has so changed me that even though I've never met you, even though I've never spent, had FaceTime with you, even though we've never talked story, guess what? I love you, and I will lay my life down for you. It's really the the truth of what 1st John 3:16 says for this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers. And so we can lay our life down for the sake of others because Christ laid down his life for our sake. And you are never more frustrated in your walk with God than when life is all about you. When you are at the center of your own life, when you are God of your own life. I know, as a Christian, it's kind of ironic, but that's often how we live. But you, on the flip side, are never more filled with joy when you live sacrificially and selflessly for the sake of others and for the gospel. Even... Even if it means toil and agonizing struggle. I mean, it's why he says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He can celebrate and have a party in the midst of his sufferings. So he says, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which we talked about last week. um, The mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. So, really, what Paul is saying here is all that I do in my toil and struggle for the sake of the gospel is so that you, the church, would be unified, that you, the church, would be of one mind, that you would be of one accord. Notice here what he says in verse 2 being knit together in love. So, what does this mean? Does this mean always agreeing with each other? No. It doesn't. We will uh, very rarely will all of us agree on all of this different areas of life or even, even more specifically within little truths that we might find throughout scriptures, at least on some minor thing. There are major things we'll fight for and there are minor things we'll fight for and we'll get there later. But at the end of the day, this doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. It doesn't mean we all have to have the same haircut, wear the same clothes, because that's a cult. I mean, that, that is a cult. So the great thing is we get to celebrate our unity in Christ, that we can love one another, another, but yet at the same time we are being knit together. Being knit together. And the reason why is because fewer things in unity reveal gospel transformation than our unity. Fewer things in our life, show the world that the gospel is at work in us when we are willing to unify in some of our differences or even some of our quirks or disagreements or personal preferences. I mean, if you get one sinner and another sinner to be unified in spite of all those things, it's nothing short of a miracle, right? Right? And this is why the Bible beckons husbands to love your wives and, and wives to respect your husbands. Because when you get, um, and I tell, when people are thinking about getting married and I talk to them, I, I tell people this, um, I've said it time and time again, don't think that when you get married there's going to be less sin in the house because one sinner plus one sinner does not equal zero sin. You tracking? It's, it's actually the opposite. You get one sinner in a home plus another sinner in a home, you have twice the sin. And I actually met people who thought, oh man, you know, if we just get married, then all of the struggles, all of the issues, when we get married will be solved. No, they're going to be amplified. That's what's going to happen. You're going to wake up one morning like, dang, that was bad. What was I thinking, right? And, and, and so that, that's really what, that's really what happens. But then when the Bible says that husbands are to love their wives and wives are to respect their husbands, There is this unity that the Bible is calling us to because we have all been unified with Christ. That unity can come to such a reality that we can love one another in our differences even though we are all here. And I mean, think of all the sin that is in this room with all of us here, especially me, right? Seriously. Yet we can come here unified under the name of Jesus, which is greater than any sin we could commit or any sin that holds us down. And that is the gospel. This is what we are liberated from. We are not just saved from the pits of hell, but we are saved into the the unity of the body of Christ. And this is where love, the love of Christ is revealed. Because the gospel brings unity. After all, just so you know, we worship a God who lives in perfect unity. We have The Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, from eternity past who dwell with one another, living in perfect unity. And so that's what we are called into. That's what we are saved into. This union first with Christ and then union with others. This is what Jesus was sharing When he said that you can identify his disciples by the kind of relationships that they have for one another. By the love that they have for one another. See the gospel unifies us into a relationship with a holy God. And our unity declares the message of Jesus' redemption to sinful man. That the way the world is going to know that we are Christ's disciples is by your love and our love for one another. And that is going to be the tool, the very thing that God will use to reach this world. And Ephesians 4 3 says, We should be eager to maintain unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We should be eager. Unity should be our pursuit. Disunity should not be our pursuit. Ways we can try to find and be divisive should not be our pursuit. But we should pursue union and unity as a church and unity with one another. So now the question is, on the flip side, how far do we take our unity, right? I mean, does this mean, you know, we all just get an acoustic guitar, sit in a circle, anyone, all religions, everyone around the world, let's just get around and sing Kumbaya and hope that all goes well as though there's nothing dangerous out there that has declared war against what we believe in Christianity. Well, let's read on. Verse 4, he says this, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Few of us here ever give our ears to implausible arguments. Amen? Um, we don't. I mean, if someone tells you Jesus was a tomato, you're like, "Mm, I don't think so. I mean, history says otherwise. So Jesus is not a tomato implausible, for sure. But if we are told that something that seems plausible, usually it means it's going to sound okay. In fact, that's what he says here, that I say this in order that you may That no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So when Paul says plausible arguments, he says there are things that people are going to tell you about Christianity. Not just other things, but even Christianity that are going to sound okay. Maybe it might even make some sense. Like do this, check this thing off your list, and then guess what? It's going to work. It's going to be great. Really well, I'm not. I mean, well, it sounds Christian. I mean, it has some biblical principles. Maybe it's true, or maybe plausible arguments. Maybe it means that, that there are good reasons, but it doesn't mean we unify with them. So, yes, it may be a plausible argument. Yes, there may be some some good things behind it. But it doesn't mean we agree with them. Now, what I'm not saying is you just find ways for you to just be a jerk to everyone and disagree with everyone who doesn't agree with you. That's not what we're saying. We care and we love for others. That's what we just talked about. Absolutely. But someone might say to you, hey, it's okay that you believe in Jesus. It's cool. I mean, Jesus works for you. Jesus is your thing. But he's not really my thing. Um, but, but I'm glad that, that, that he works for you. I'm glad that, but, but it's not for me. And there are many people. I mean, you, you, you share with people. There are many people. Maybe even you're in here this morning and you're here and that's you. I, I'm really glad that you're here. But, but can I just flip that on you a little bit? Because I recently talked with someone who told me that Christianity is too exclusive And that all other religions, as long as they are sincere in their belief in that religion, they have a piece of the truth with them. So Christianity has some of the truth, but if they're sincere in these other religions, they have some of the truth as well. But to say, they told me, to say Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and no one can get to the Father but through him, that no one can get to heaven but by Jesus, is too absolute. It's wrong and it's too exclusive. Ironically, the argument seems plausible. But then I flipped it on and I said to say that there is no absolute truth is an absolute truth. You try you try you guys with me on that one? To say there is no way to know truth is to make a tr- statement that is absolutely true. Now, of course, it's not true. But to make a statement of absolute truth, to say there's no an absolute truth, is. And so when they say your view is wrong, other views are right, my view is better than your view, and I think, well, then, then what they're, they're doing the very thing that they're accusing us of. You're too exclusive. No, you are. Who's to say otherwise? And often those that demand tolerance and those that demand fairness are usually the least to give it. And usually the least to want it. But if it's okay, if it seems like it might work, well on the surface it is plausible. Paul would say, no, no, no. I say this in order that no one would delude you. That no one would delude you. Be very careful of being Deluded in what you believe. Be very careful when you have Jesus over here, but then you're willing to attach other things onto who Jesus is. In fact, circle there in your Bibles and write it down. The word delude there means to deceive by false reasoning. And so Paul says that there is... There are those out there who would want to water down the gospel of which you believe. To water down the exclusivity of Christianity and Christ. To censor or soften what God has said though is to delude the gospel which is altogether deceptive. So to have a half gospel is to have no gospel at all. Because if you remove the offensiveness of the cross which is Christ dying. If you remove the offensiveness of the gospel guess what? you're left with no gospel. You're left with no truth. Okay, so how does unity, by our hearts being worked together, work with gospel delusion? How, how do these two things work then? All right, so we have an enemy. There are those who are going to try to delude us from the gospel, yet Paul says at the same time, we are to be unified in Christ. How do these things work? Authentic unity is based on authentic truth. Authentic unity is based on authentic truth. So if we are willing to agree on what is authentically true about the gospel and who Jesus is, we can have authentic unity. And if we pretend like we agree, well then in the end, that unity will show that it's not real. And we should be leery of the kind of unity, hear me out, We should be leery of the kind of unity that elevates oneness and unity at the expense of the gospel. So anything that elevates above doctrinal truth that we find in scripture for the sake of unity that we're willing to compromise, that are things that that we are willing to hold on to, there are things that we're not gonna go there. There are things that we will die on a hill that we will fight for that we will not compromise. And for us as a church... This means the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who we believe is God. We are not going to to delude that. That's reality. That's true. There is a tomb thousands of miles away outside of Jerusalem that is still empty. That's incredible. And the dude who rose from the dead, I believe him. Right? I mean, you've got to be God. I mean, (laughs) if you've been raised from the dead. Another thing. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're not going to delude that. We're not going to delude eternal life for those who believe in Jesus. We're not going to delude the counsel of the word of God. That's why we study through the Bible. Growing in unity and being on mission, serving Jesus' church in the community through the power of the Holy Spirit, these are things that we will die on. Hills that we will stand upon and say, this is what we believe and we are not going to change these things. And on that, from that, the gospel brings unity. And we can have authentic unity with each other as a church Not just today, but five years from now, ten years from now as a church, fifteen years from now because you are a sinner and I am a sinner and we are all in need of God's grace. And because we have received grace from God, we can give grace to one another and live in unity. That's good news. Paul says this in order that no one may be deluded with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you In the Spirit, rejoicing, verse 5, to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul is rejoicing with the Christians in Colossians because of what God was doing and the order of the church, meaning the way the church was set up, meaning the way the church was running, he was rejoicing with them because things were actually by his grace, going pretty well. And because of their firmness in Christ. And all this to say, a church that stays close to Jesus, God will honor. A church and a people that are centered on the gospel, God will move in their midst. And this is why for us as a church, our vision is all about Jesus. And I think it's because of our vision we've seen God do what he has done on our second year birthday, on our two years of doing ministry as a church. Because the gospel isn't just important for Christianity, the gospel is essential in all areas of Christianity. We never move past the gospel. We only grow further into the gospel. And this is why it is our prayer as a church that we always must remain gospel-centered because the gospel and Jesus is always enough. He is always enough. And so that's our prayer as a church. That is really what we have prayed about before this church was planted, We prayed before this church was planted, God, if we ever move away from the gospel, would you correct us? And if we don't receive that correction, would you shut the doors of what you've begun? Would you stop the work that you've started? Because we have no business except to proclaim him, amplify him, to make much of him. Because the gospel is enough. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we've had in your word and in the scriptures. Thank you that your word is true and that you are actively working in our church and that today we get to celebrate, God, what you're doing in our midst and we get to look at the work that you have done, trusting you with our future. For if you have been faithful in our past, we know that you are with us in the future as we move forward. And that, God, it is not about us, but that we as a church and as a body can lay down our expectations, can lay aside the things that do not glorify you, that we would not live in the center of our own life, but that we would live to glorify you, to make much of you, to praise you. So that we would be knit together in love until we see you face to face. So, Jesus, thank you. We ask that you would bless this time that we still have together to talk about what you've done and where you are taking us. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord, and Savior, or you have more questions, Send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.